This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 47. It's like career mobility has always been there. You know, the piece that I wrote back in the 80s and rewrote more popularized just says there are always six ways you could move in your career. Lateral, enrichment, vertical, exploratory, realignment, which is moving down to get into something else, and relocation, which is saying, this isn't working for me anymore. And in the programs I've done, it was getting employees to set six different career goals. So if one blows up, you've got five others. How has career development changed over the years? What really matters when it comes to retaining and engaging your team? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is the one and only Bev Kay. Bev is a best-selling author, dynamic speaker, and internationally recognized authority on career development, employee engagement, and retention. Her books and learning materials have stood the test of time, and this is evident in the awards she's received. In fact, the Association for Training Development, IMS, and Best Practice Institute have all given her a Lifetime Achievement Award, and most recently, in 2022, I4CP gave her their Industry Legend Award. Her 1982 book, Up is Not the Only Way, Rethinking Career Mobility, truly laid the foundation for how most of us think about career development. If you've not read the book, I encourage you to do so as I believe you will realize that many of the concepts about talent mobility and career development have been built on her ideas. The mission of Future of HR podcast is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And in doing so, I believe it's important that all of us understand and appreciate the thought leaders whose ideas have shaped our field. Ideas that were innovative or groundbreaking at the time, but over the years have become part of our lexicon and how we approach our work. Bev Kay is one of those thought leaders, and it was truly an honor to sit down with her and discuss the research that led to her classic book, Up Is Not The Only Way, why she believes career development is the integrating force for all HR processes, why growing your current role is underrated and often overlooked, why each of us should have six growth-oriented career goals, and why asking what can I do to keep you is the most powerful tool a manager has to retain their people. Bev, welcome to the Future of HR. How are you? I am good. It is a Friday, and so I'm double good. We are ecstatic to have you join us today. You've had an illustrious career and someone who I have looked up to and read your materials for a long time. And so I'm ecstatic to have you on the podcast, interview, and also share your wisdom with other folks who may or may not know all the good work you brought to HR. So I want to kick our conversation off today by asking you this. You've been helping individuals, managers, and organizations understand the practical how-to principles of employee development, engagement, and retention for your entire career. You truly have pioneered a lot of things today that we think are commonplace 
Where did your passion for developing people come from? You know, in that sentence you just asked me, I just circled the words how to. And maybe that's where my passion is, is to make everything I do say, well, that makes sense. I could do that. And my practice for all the years is built around four words that start with a D, that I want to do something that is always deceptively simple. Like it has all this theory underlying it, but for a manager or an employee in the audience, I want them to say, gee, that's easier than I thought. So deceptively simple. It has to be delightfully engaging. In other words, I wanted to have a smile factor. So everything I write and the way I present has a smile factor. It's engaging. The third thing that I know now is like gigantic is the third D is deliberately flexible. Like if someone wants it in 20 minutes and someone else wants it in two hours, you got to bend. And in the old days, we say, no, the course is this long. It's got to be always no more. And the last one is decidedly business-centric. So I'm talking to healthcare. I've got to have healthcare examples. You know, I'm talking to IT people. I've got to use IT, you know, tech language. So that's what I've always believed. And my passion probably is around those four D words to make sure whether it's a speech or it's an article or it's a podcast that I leave your listeners with something they could do easily. Well, it truly has been part of your brand. And what made you choose D when you thought about it? <laughs> it's creative and you're great at marketing. Like some of your books we'll talk about, I think, are just really stick with people like love them or lose them. Yeah. But when I, you think about Ds, I rhyme, what made you pick that? I love alliteration. I love to rhyme since I was a kid. The first D, deceptively simple, has always been me. And then I added the others. My whole theory about career came from my doctoral dissertation, which was not deceptively simple because my committee wanted me to do something called grounded theory. And I remember Glazer and Strauss, Grounded Theory. I must have read it 12 times, and I did not know what I was supposed to do. And I literally failed my doctoral orals three times because what I thought was my theory wasn't. And they would say, that can't be. Go back to your data. Go back and come back again three times. And one of the people on my doctoral committee said, Beverly, if you do this, it will be, be your career development. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew stick with it. And it is interesting when I look back, it was that doctoral work that gave rise to Prentice Hall saying, we'd like a book on that theory. And 
That book was titled Up Is Not The Only Way. And little did I know it would become a 40-year career for me. So I'm glad I stuck with it. And I guess that's why I'm here now. I'm still sticking with it. (laughs) You are still sticking with it. And I think what's so really compelling there, Bev, is that you had a, a dissertation idea and you kept pulling the thread and you stuck with it. And your ideas on career development, engagement, retention have had a lasting impact on our field because I think you have made them deceptively simple. Right and continue to think about the flexibility and expanding them and really keeping them relevant with our times. But the foundation are, they're so relevant today as they were when you wrote the book a while back, right? And in fact, ATD and two other organizations have given you a Lifetime Achievement Award. And most recently in 2022, I4CP gave you their Industry Legend Award. I mean, that's truly amazing. Right, right. How does it feel to receive that type of recognition? And what's next for you? The truth is, with all of those, you know, I'm crossing my heart right now. It's like I said, no, 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 in my head, that's not me. And I keep thinking of that great quote that says, please, God, let me become the person my dog thinks I am. (laughs) And that's how I felt like maybe the awards were saying, okay, you're done you know, pack up your suitcase, you've contributed. And I never felt worthy of it. And I never felt I was done. So mixed emotions, really, on on all of that. And I guess I'm still struggling to be recognized and to be known. And God knows where that comes from. But It's still with me. Well, you know what's so interesting? I think people who are really successful and have that impact, there is something that is driving us, all of us, to do certain things that, you know, we're not going to get into all in this show that either comes from our childhood or it's personality. And if you can figure this out, please write the book, come on the podcast, (laughs) and you'll make lots of money. But you received an industry legend award, and yet, you know, you're thinking about what's next. And before we started the podcast, you talked about like, where you're, what you're thinking about doing. And I, I'd love to talk more about what are you thinking about doing next? Because all of us should ask that question, what's next for us? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no matter where we are, we should never be satisfied and content, right? We always should be learning and growing. And I think you're an inspiration, the fact that you are continuing to do that at the stage of the career you're at and the accolades you've received. Thank you. Thank you. It's, if only I could eat my accolades and have them go through my body Yeah, maybe I have a little bit of it's never enough. You've never done enough. I think you're talking about, you know, what's next. I think that's great. But part of why I wanted you to be on the podcast is because a lot of times we forget that we are standing in the shoulders of greatness. But there's concepts that have been developed for a long time. There are theories. There are practices that have been around for decades. There's people who've thought of things before, quiet quitting, some other things have come up. And I think about you and in recent years, internal talent marketplace solutions, career mobility, it's a hot topic. Yet many people don't know that your 1982 book, Up is Not the Only Way, Rethinking Career Mobility, is what really started the conversation. Can you tell us more about the concepts in that book? Well, that original book 
1982, was the result of the grounded theory research. And that original book was a systems approach to career development built on the premise that to make a career development inter intervention work in an organization, it needs three players. It needs the employee who's the spark. And that's still true. That employee should be the one to knock on the manager's door, wherever that door is, and say, I'd like to talk. And I've thought about this. The manager is the S word, is the support, not the answer machine. So managers who get clinched around, oh, I don't want to have a career discussion. I don't know what's next for that person or myself, that you're not the answer machine, but you better have some good questions and you better listen to how they answer that question so you can ask the next follow on question. And the organization provides the systems. I call it the surround sound. You know, how does career development link to performance management? How does it link to our skill set? How does it? And I happen to believe career development is the integrating force. It connects with every other HR system if it's done well. So um, I still believe that. When you think about the spark support and the surround sound, the system, and I know we have different terms for it now in HR, the reality is before it might've been pen and paper. It might've been Excel sheets. It's still HR. It's the talent systems that are driving that career development. I love that you mentioned earlier that the history of HR, when you go back, it's all been said by our forefathers. And now I'm putting out for the first time ever a newsletter. You know, I'm just getting number three ready. And in the newsletters, I have a section of what is classic. What's something classic I said years ago that's still true? And what's something classic one of my friends said? You know, another author that's still true. Because I want the newbies in the field to know that they're building on ideas that are still firm and are still foundational. And I'll say that with my dying breath. <laughs> <laughs> Read your history. <laughs> Exactly, Bev. What has changed and maybe what hasn't changed about career mobility? Maybe the shift is we're calling more attention to it. It's like career mobility has always been there. You know, the piece that I wrote back in the 80s and rewrote more popularized just says there are always six ways you could move in your career. And if you're a manager and you're going into a conversation with one of your people and you say, I don't have any ideas for them, think about the word career leverage, having leverage in your career and write down lever with two R's. And lever with two R's stands for lateral, enrichment, vertical, 
exploratory, realignment, which is moving down to get into something else, and relocation, which is saying, this isn't working for me anymore. I need to look elsewhere. And in the programs I've done since I started, it was getting employees to set six different career goals. So if one blows up, you've got five others. So I really meant in the up is vertical, it's in there, but it's just one. And I told my husband that on my gravestone, I wanted it to say, now Beverly, up is the only way. And then I would go to heaven, and, but it is only one way. And now finally, with the attention on career mobility, people are mouthing the words but there's still so many who want up. And up is possible. It's not like gone completely. But not everybody, ever, ever. Not everybody wanted it forever. And not everybody can get it forever. But there are other ways to grow. So maybe that's what I'll go down in history for saying, F is not the only way. You know, on the up is not, just lately, I'm working with a tech company and we're trying to digitize that whole idea. And the one that we started with is the least thought about around the world, that that mobility option. And it's called, it's an old word, job enrichment. In my world, I say, grow where you are. And I think we forget that, yes, you can grow where you are in many ways. And that growth could lead to options down the line. But we're always looking how to get out of where I am and into the next thing. And I'd say, don't rush it. You know, coddle it and take it to bed with you. Great advice. And I had a similar realization that I remember I wrote a LinkedIn post where I said, the most underrated career opportunity you have is at your current job. Yes. And I think it really was teeing off of your job enrichment, which is a fancy way to say, are you growing? Are you learning? And most of us, you know, we may not be able to get that promotion, but there's a project or a new skill or something we can get involved in if we're willing to take the initiative. You're right. If we have curiosity. You're right. If you don't, then you may not have those opportunities. But if you want to grow in your role, you can. And having that initiative exactly leads to having a promotion usually or something else come up. Right. I want to go back to you said, what do you think about your leverage and then lever as kind of our acronym? You talked about having different options. Are you recommending that people are really thinking through, well, if I don't get the promotion, how will I grow in my job? Yeah. How can I grow laterally? Say more about that. In every course, people had to set at least three of the six goals, not just one. Because the magic was what could move me for more than one of those? What could I learn now that would help me move laterally? What could I learn now that would help me move vertically? And what more could I learn now that might help me even 
interview for another job in another organization. So you're never then saying, I'm flat out broke. I'm done. Because you've got those other options. And I think it's such a smart way to think about your career because a lot of people are feeling burnt out. They feel stuck. In some jobs, you maybe maybe you are burnt out. Maybe you feel like you really are stuck. But what you're challenging is you've got some other options you haven't thought about. And that's why I've always loved Up is Not the Only Way. And it's such a classic. It's such a great way to think about it. And I think a lot of people just get so myopic on getting that promotion versus if I grow laterally, what's that look like, et cetera. So right. I think it's amazing. I'm so glad that you walked through that. You know what you're reminding me of? It's the word growth. No matter which way, you're growing. And when did growth equal up? You know, I even wrote a poem about it, that it, it doesn't mean up. It means all those different moves. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Another concept that you pioneered and continues to increase in popularity is the stay interview. In fact, you and your colleague wrote a book on stay interviews and get this, guys. 2015. So this isn't new. Adam Grant didn't invent it, even though he just popularized and talked about stay interviews recently. So talk to us, Bev, around why stay interviews are so important and what should they really look like? So here's where the notion of stay interviews came from. When we did the research for Love Him or Lose Him, we read a zillion exit interviews and everyone complained about something. And then we found a few where we could find the person in the next company. So we would literally take their exit interview and we'd go to the next company and we'd say, here's what you wrote. What didn't you write? And it's how we got in Love Them, the J chapter stands for jerk, don't be one. It's how we got that chapter because everyone said my boss was a jerk and so many words and I couldn't stand it anymore. But many said, I didn't see an opportunity for growth. And no one showed me, no one took me aside and showed me. And I realized when we talked to managers that the question, what can I do to keep you, was asked at the exit interview. And we thought, that's a very important question, but not at the exit interview. Why not do the opposite of stay interview? Why not say when you hire someone in that first month? So I'm so glad you're here. And what can I do to keep you? And what about the job is exactly what you wanted? And what about the job is alien to what you wanted? That is a question we don't ask. And that's the secret. What can I do to keep you? And when we taught stay interviews, and our biggest mistake, by the way, was not trademarking that word because everybody wrote before we did anyway. But the idea of thinking about what would keep me and being able to voice it to my manager and my manager not just listening to my first answer and saying, okay, here's the next question, has to delve deeper 
into the way that individual answered. Well, what do you mean by challenge? What do you mean by camaraderie and problem solving? All those words need to be investigated deeper. I think it's an amazing idea that honestly does not happen that often. And every manager should do this to a new hire and sit down and say, to your point, what is, as we advertise, and you're loving about the job, what was not advertised and you may not love about the job? Yes. And then to listen, which is the hard part for managers and people in general, even myself sometimes, ask my wife, but then to really dig in and say, tell me more about that, understand what's really underneath, kind of the five whys to really make sure, can you address it? Is it critical? That's really important. And really every conversation, whether it's a mid-year or a quarter, you know, you can have a stay conversation with your team. You should always be engaging them. Right, because always. always. Today changed. We are all getting emails on LinkedIn. The opportunities to apply for a job are endless. If you hear the Indeed data, it's every job posting there gets like seven to 10 applications, right? So you have to always re-recruit and really pull yes. people back in. And that's why stay interviews are so important. You re-recruit immediately. And when, when we taught it like face-to-face, -face, you could look in the eyes of the managers who said, sure, I, I don't want to ask, what can I do to keep you? Because an employee would say money or that promotion, and I'd say, I can't do it, and then I'm in worse trouble. And we would say time and time again, no. You have to say, you know, I'd love to make that happen, but my hands are tied right now. So tell me what else matters. Because I'm determined to keep you on my team. And I'm going to listen for one of your answers to what else matters that I have control over. Because I don't have it over your pay. And I don't have it over that move you want. But I'm sure between us, there's something I can leverage that you want. But we never go that deep. You know, we don't. Well, I hope people will after they listen to this because that was absolute gold. And every HR leader should be writing down <laughs> that script for their managers and sharing that as part of mm -hmm how they think about having these kind of stay conversations right. and really re-recruiting people because it's so critical what you said. And if a manager said that to me, said, I can't do this, but I can do that. Yes. And I want to do that. I'm pretty committed to that person. Yeah. And they're being honest and transparent. I and told you, yeah, my you hands know, are tied. That's great. But let's look at where they aren't tied. Right. I keep wanting to say it's not rocket science. And I'm married to a rocket scientist, a real rocket scientist. And he hates when I say that. He says, can't you say brain surgery? Don't use rocket science. But it's just human nature. Let me learn more. Let me dig a little deeper on that word he just used. It, that's a secret. Well, I think you're going to drive a lot of engagement. And that's another topic that has been... I think always hot, but over the past year, we've seen trends like quiet quitting on TikTok. We've heard that employees are less engaged than they have been in the past. 
What's your perspective on engagement? Are employees more engaged, less engaged, or is it just the same level of engagement as we've had in the past? I think there's all that. You know, depending which article you read. The one thing, and I've written a little bit about this, and you have to remind me to send you something. I think what's changed is the individual is more willing to say, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And not willing to shut their mouth and complain in the bathroom about it. So um, one article I wrote is titled, you're not the boss of me. Like what the little kids say to their parents. And their employees are speaking up and saying, it's not working for me. And the manager has to listen. Well, what about that isn't working? How can we both put our brains around that and figure out a way to make it work? The other thing that's changed is in the old days, and I was around in the old days, managers had this edict, what you do for one, you have to do for everyone. And so they could say to an employee, no, I can't let you leave mid-Friday afternoon. Then I'd have to let everybody leave mid-Friday afternoon. Now we're saying, no, no, no. That employee needed that. You're doing it for that, but it doesn't mean you've got to do for everybody. And now if we've learned anything from the whole DEI emphasis, it's everybody is an individual. Everybody wants something different. So treat them that way. So maybe we're relearning over and over ancient stuff. I don't know. I think you're right. It certainly seems that with social media and I think people are much more transparent about what they want and their needs, mm -hmm. it becomes an opportunity to talk with someone and really say, hey, how are you enjoying the organization? What can we do for you? Right. But I think flexibility and recognizing the individual needs is really the key to that engagement piece because it's really at an individual level. It's not a macro level the department isn't engaged and individuals engaged. I'll tell you my favorite, my own favorite kind of engagement question. And I used to love asking it of a big audience and looking at their reaction. And the question is, when was the last time you said, thought, felt, I love this work? And I could see in people's eyes either... It was just yesterday, or I haven't felt that in the last, you know, three months. But any manager, and you don't have to use the word love, what was the best part of last week for you? When were you most turned on and tuned in? And, and I'll tell you, if they can't answer it, they will go home and think about it. They'll sleep on it. What was the best part of last week? What do I love doing the most? And there is a hint manager, and it shows you're interested. I'm going to ask right. you that question when this is over, okay? <laughs> you can ask me a question you want, Bev. That is a great question. 
I will be stealing that. So I love that and hope everyone else steals that as well. They have it. We'll give you credit for it, of course, but we're definitely going to leverage that. It's a great one. Good. If you had one piece of advice for an HR leader who wanted to increase engagement in their organization, what would you recommend they do? You know, it's interesting. The first chapter in Love Them or Lose Them, it's written according to the alphabet. A is for ask. Maybe, And the ask is critical to every other letter. It's ask. You know, don't hunch. Don't jump to what you think. Ask. And you'll know if the person has trouble with that question. And then maybe shine it up and ask it differently. But ask your people, what's the best part of your day? So I'll tell you three steps. And again, so simple. It's about notice. So it's recognize. Gee, JP just doesn't seem himself today. Not happy, not his eyes aren't bright. So recognize. If you want to do, just put it in your head. If you want to do better than that, recognize and verbalize. Hey, JP, that light, shiny light, smile. I haven't seen it all day. What's going on? And then you could stop there. But if you take it to the next step, recognize, verbalize, mobilize. Well, now that I know that, how about you and I doing X together? That takes it the whole way. So maybe we're making complexity out of simplicity. And that's maybe baked in my heart and soul. I love that. Recognize, verbalize, and mobilize. Really something tangible people can do and be a better leader, whether you're in HR or a people leader. Bev, last question for you. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? Of course, the word is change. And when you dissect the word change, you realize that change has been around (laughs) forever. But maybe more managers will listen more and their ears will be enhanced (laughs) so they pick up cues that aren't spoken. And maybe managers will get that the way to hang on to their talent is to notice, to recognize, verbalize, mobilize. You know, that's a hard question. The future of HR. We are revisiting the same issues with different language and different logos and different technology, which makes me nuts. Too much different technology out there. For a girl who's a non-techie, wow. And I think managers are thinking about their own careers and what's next for me. I'm thinking about my own, this is the fourth quarter of my career. And I'm thinking about where do I want to pivot? And it's not easy thinking. You know, Bev, 
I've never done this before, but I kind of want to build on, I think, what you, we talked about today. I want to think about the future of HR. If I had a word for you, it would be what's next. If you think about what's next in HR, what's new, where are we going? I think you've talked a lot about that today. But really, it does rely back on the past and the great work that you've done and others in our field to get us to where we are now, to understand career mobility, engagement, stay interviews. And I just want to say, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You are a legend in the field. We are grateful for your contributions. And thank you so much for joining us today. This was actually fun. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Bev for sharing her wisdom on career development, stay interviews, and what drives employee engagement. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. If you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share, or even leave a review about our podcast. That really helps us grow the podcast and helps our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Jay Parker. Jay is the CEO and founder of MentorForce, which is an innovative and scalable platform for mentoring a new generation of business leaders. Prior to launching MentorForce, Jay had a very successful career as a technology executive and most recently was responsible for Dell's $50 billion personal computing business across the commercial and consumer markets. In my conversation with Jay, we're going to get his business leader perspective on what the business expects from HR and its HR leaders. This is an insightful conversation you won't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to Future of HR and being part of our community.